announce something new that's coming up, and uh, Curtis is going to join us up here too. I'm really excited. We're going to do a little uh, different. We're going to do what Matt has always wanted to do. We're going to count the penny cost, and we're going to do it very specially. Uh, every Sabbath beginning on the 14th, which is not tomorrow, but Sabbath after, uh, we will be starting a series of Bible studies. And uh, I think you're going to really, really like them, especially the first ones coming out. Um, yeah, there we go. Called The Path to Pentecost, a study in a Christian journey. And um, I'm going to let Matt bring up the rest of it here a little bit. Uh, we each have two studies each, so six Bible studies up to Pentecost. Yeah, as, as Steve said, so these are written by the three of us. Um, we're not going to tell you which ones because, you know, we may be a little nervous about it. Um, but we've, we've wanted for a while, as, as Steve's mentioned, we've talked about this on and off for quite a while, uh, to, to have a, a Bible study again as a congregation. We used to do that uh, back in the past. This is going to be a little different. Uh, because we're actually going to restructure services for each of these Sabbaths uh, as we go through. So the Bible study will start at 1 o'clock, and we will we'll open it uh, with prayer, and then we'll, we'll jump right in to the lesson. And then we will have that for about 45 minutes. We'll take a 15-minute break, and then we'll come back for what will obviously be an abbreviated. You'll be glad to know. We're not going to go all the way to 4 o'clock. Um, will be an abbreviated uh, worship service and then sermon for that day. Um, now, the, the way that the Bible studies are written is it's for you to, to do during the week ahead of each Sabbath. So uh, tomorrow we'll be handing out the study for this next week, right? So we'll be we're handing that out to everybody. Um, we do have an electronic one available. I'd really like to encourage everybody to participate. Maybe an hour, an hour and a half of your time, depending on how in-depth you really want to dig in there. Um, not too, uh, hopefully not too arduous. A little bit of homework. But it's designed in such a way that you can write out your answers. So there are questions that are with the scriptures and with the narrative. We really encourage you to write out your answers to these questions. Because then we would like you to come back on the Sabbath and share your ideas. Share what you got from the study what you got from the from the scriptures and so having your answers written out is a good way of you know if you're not necessarily public you know uh, comfortable speaking in public yeah you can just i'm just going to read what my answer is so and everybody can still participate so we're really hoping that uh that you would jump on board with this and and, and enjoy it um it will also be available on online as i say a pdf so anybody uh, that wants to join us studying wherever you are out there in the, the, the wild web. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so we'd encourage uh, for anybody to participate with us regardless of where they are. Um, Curtis, you have some thoughts? We're going to go ahead and start in alphabetical order and call you out by name, see what you put every week. <laughs> uh, no, just kidding. This, this is something not to make anyone uncomfortable. Uh, we do strongly encourage you to participate. Uh, the whole point of this Bible study is to be interactive. 
Uh, it's for all of us to together learn from each other. You know, our iron sharpens iron, but it's it's a little bit of a break. You know, we're used to the stage on you know the sage on the on the stage, the sit and get model of you know going to church, and nothing against that. We're still having sermons. We're still doing all of that. We're still preaching the word of God, uh, but we're wanting to do something just a little different, uh, mainly for the for the purpose of getting a little bit more interactive. There is a precedent for this. Uh, this has somewhat been done before uh, in the past. There used to be uh, Bible studies during the first part, and so we're kind of taking... Uh, uh, I never was involved in that. I guess you were involved in that, and you were. I was in class during the time, just to let you know just how much younger I am than these two guys. Right here. <laughs> but... That's the point of it. So it's not to make anyone uncomfortable. It's to, uh, to grow. And that's what we're here for. We're here to grow. And, you know, we're all individuals. Uh, the Word of God is a solid, objective, unchanging, living Word. But we all have different experiences. Your experiences are different than mine. And, and mine are different than yours. And vice versa than everyone in here. So uh, the hope is, is that as we hear each other's perspectives on things, not that everyone has their own truth and you know it's relative or anything like that, that's not what I'm saying, but maybe you have experienced something that maybe I never have or Steve never has or Trevor never has or Renee never has and it helps us learn from each other and grow as we really try to be proactive and looking at this seven-week count. So we decided to use Pentecost as a perfect and, you know, uh, period uh, to install this Bible study. So. Just one other point. Uh, if, if, if you like this, if it's successful, um, we hope to do more of these. Uh, and, and it won't just be, you know, these this two old guys and this young whippersnapper up here. Um, we'll, we'll have others of our speakers, hopefully, if they are willing, uh, to to also facilitate these Bible studies. It's not uh, we're not trying to in any way exclude anybody from from that. We just felt like since it was our idea, we really should try it first and take all the heat if uh, if you guys don't like it. So, so uh, that's, that's all we have to say on that. There will be a small uh, meeting for our speakers and um, our song leaders. Uh, tomorrow after services, just 10, 15 minutes, just to kind of briefly go over how services are, will change and, and, and uh, make sure that we're all on the same page on that. Thank you, everybody. Seventh day of unleavened bread. We've already come that last day. I think everybody recognizes uh, this here. We've been eating unleavened bread for this is the seventh day. I have uh, an example of that other stuff that we've been avoiding. And I'm just see if I can find it in here somewhere. Where is that? Oh, oh, oh there it is. I found it. Oh, that stuff. Let's see. Oh, if I can bring it out just for a minute. Oh, here it is. Anybody recognize this? I think a few of you have this at home somewhere. 
Uh, by the way, one of the little ones decided that she would try this. <laughs> I don't know whether she was just getting tired of eating unleavened bread or what. No, actually, I think it happened before. But <laughs> Not till after sundown. This, it's squishy. It's uh, kind of, anyway. This is a tremendous time as we begin these holy days. It seems like God is always looking forward. When we start the Passover, we're looking forward to the next. It's, it's like we're constantly looking forward, isn't it? And yet God wants us to always look back, too, to be, rem, to, to be reminded of what has happened in the past. And that's why we have the Bible. All this is ancient writing. We have modern writers out there that are writing about the Bible, but when it comes right down to it, what we really need to be doing is studying the Bible. And so, in the time that we have left, I'm going to go through, you all have a handout that's being passed out today, and if I don't get all the way through it, you'll have a Bible study that you can use if you'd like. By the way, I started doing this, and there is no way that we could cover any and all of this in the time that we have to do it in a sermon time. These days, these holy days are so filled with so much wonderful stuff that God has provided for us in his word, the truth that is there. But I wanted to start out, of course, with right where we started with Barnabas' message last week. Because it's important to go back and to be reminded of what we're here for. In the 14th day of the first month, that even is the Lord's Passover. And we've done that. We've, we've taken and, and done the Lord's Passover. And in the 15th day of the same month is the, is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread and that's what we've been doing but by the way I guess I got to tell them myself I Miriam is a tremendous housekeeper and she just so diligent especially during the days of unleavened bread and uh, getting all the crumbs out and anything that's there and what do I do we go to the store she gives me this thing she says read it make sure there's no leavening in it make sure there's no leavening in it Make sure there's no, three times, by the way. I, you know, I'm an okie. I have to have it three times at least. What do I do? I read it. I bring it home. I read it again this morning. Yeah, you guessed it. <laughs> there was a little package of stuff in the salad that we bought that had leavening in it. Well, I put it in the dumpster out there for our uh, uh, city to to take care of. Anyway, unleavened bread. In the first day, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work. We've already done that. But you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord seven days. In the seventh day is a holy convocation, a holy assembly, a time to come together to worship God. You shall do no work therein. And so, we have all the types the seventh day, seven is perfect. 
That's God's perfect number. We're taking in unleavened bread for seven days. And we'll look at that even a little deeper, as you see by the handout today. 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, which we've also read. But I want to go over it because there's some things in there that are we need to repeat, as we always do, don't we? But if you've ever known anyone that has given this way up, they, they tend to not be able to, to even grasp the simplest concepts of what we understand. And of course, people in the world think we're stupid and idiotic and things that if we're keeping a day in which we, we don't eat bread that has leavening in it. But God has set these days apart for us, specifically for us to learn and understand about his plan. In 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, Corinthians had a problem, and Barnabas went through this. They were, they had a man who uh, had married uh, his father's wife, and, and, and the, the congregation was all puffed up. It's interesting that he uses the word puffed up, because that's exactly what happens when you leaven bread. You, it puffs up. It gets fat. Kind of like this piece down here. It's kind of squishy. And uh, I remember uh, taking the white bread, and I used to eat lots of white bread and had a lot of problems after eating a lot of white bread. But I would take it and, and uh, take all the good stuff off around it and squish it all up and then make it in a ball. So you know how <laughs> puffed up and how bad sometimes leavened bread can be. And have not rather mourned that you've done this deed that might be taken away from you. Verily as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that has done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together in my spirit and in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. It's important. Even we know what happens when a little leavening in the congregation. Your glorying is not good. Know you not that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. It don't take much, does it? It doesn't take much. Leaven. To leaven that out. And he's talking about now, he's talking about sinful things. He's Purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you are unleavened. Interesting word that he uses there, that you were already unleavened. They'd already gone through, thrown out all the leavening. And yet, they had not thrown out the true leavening that they had in their congregation, which was sin of a person that was sinning and probably creating a lot of problems in that congregation. And Paul recognized that, and he sent them a letter and says, take care of this. Take care of it. Do what's necessary. Put this person out till he has changed. And he did make that point, didn't he? Put that person out until he's changed, until he's repented. If he repents, separates, everything needs to be done, he could bring that back in. He says, therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened. And the word bread is in italics, but 
uh, understand that unleavened of sincerity and truth. So we don't, we bring in new leaven too, don't we? If we throw all the old leaven out, it's kind of an example of what we should do every year. Throw all our old leaven out. <laughs> if we've had something that's kind of stuck around, shouldn't we throw it out? And when we go back, we don't bring that back in. But sometimes we have problems with that, don't we? So God says get rid of that old leaven, get rid of that old sin, and don't bring it back in and live a different life. So, what happened in the past? I like this one because it's, it's a very interesting example of not being very grateful for the things that God did. If you had the powerful miracles that Israel had, because they had some powerful miracles, I mean, they, they had to endure three of the plagues to begin with, and then after that, the Egyptians were inundated with plagues. Inundated with plagues. And here, God rescues you out of all of this. You've been a slave for a very long time. You don't know anything else but slavery. And now you have freedom, some wonderful freedom. And what happens? Well, God puts some pressure on, on you, doesn't he? I think that's the way it happens sometimes even when we're first in the church. Sometimes we have, we're newly converted. We're newly in this way of, of life. And something comes up to really put the pressure on us, to really see if we're really willing to live this way of life for the rest of our life until we die or until Christ returns. Anyway, let's go to Exodus, the 14th chapter. You know what happened. You know where they were. The Egyptians had come after them. They were pursuing them, and they were in between a rock and a hard place. And that's true. That's exactly where they were. They had the sea here, the mountains on either side. There was no place to go, and the Egyptians were in behind them. And what do they do? Beginning in verse 10. This, I, I, I had more number, uh, things, but I'm going to pick it up in verse 10. Pharaoh drew near to the children of Israel and lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried to the Lord. And they said to Moses, Because there are no graves in Egypt. <laughs> what, did, what did he just do? He just took all the firstborn of the Egyptians and killed them all. A powerful mir miracle. In fact, all of those things that he was doing were powerful miracles. has taken us away to die in the wilderness. Wherefore have you dealt thus with us, to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians. Oh, we love those idols. For it's been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear you not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. That is so 
powerful, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom you've seen today, you shall see them no more forever. And the Lord shall fight for you, and, and, and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, Wherefore cry you to me? Speak to the children of Israel that they go forward. But lift up your rod, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go over dry shod through the midst of the sea. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians. And they shall follow them. And I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon his host, and upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh and upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. Remember, Egypt is like the sin. Like sin. And they had the Israelites in bondage and chains and uh, rigorous bondage there towards the end because Moses wanted them to. So they, they put rigorous bondage on them. And they had now had escaped. And God was going to do this tremendous miracle. And the angel of God which went before the camp of the Israel, removed and went before them in the pillar of cloud and went from before the face and stood behind them. And it came, to, it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud of darkness to them, but gave light to the night to these, uh, night to, to these so that the one came not near the other all night. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the, the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea, even as Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And it came to pass that in the morning watch the Lord looked and the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of the fire of the, uh, of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians and took off their chariot wheels. <laughs> well, that must have been something. All of a sudden the chariot wheels fall off. Here they're running around with their horses and no wheels at all. So that the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel. For the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come upon the Egyptians and upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth out his, uh, his hand over the sea, and the sea returned its strength upon the mor uh, morning appeared. And the Egyptians fled against him, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. What a powerful... Uh, they lost all their firstborn... And then the army went after the Israelites, and God wiped out the Egyptian army. Now, it's a very good possibility that they were so weak that there was another um, nation that came in and took over that part of Egypt. Uh, that's for historical perspective, if you want to look that up. There's some, some things out there about that. So, that powerful miracle that God wrought on them. Well... Israelites being the way they were and sometimes the way that we are and we shouldn't be that way we should be very grateful we should be very thankful for the things that we have and especially for the the truth that we have and, and the word that God has given us and very thankful for these holy days 
that open our eyes about so many things and so wonderful things. Well, <laughs> it wasn't very long until they came to another area and they, they were just hungry. But they, instead of praying or asking Moses or whatever, they decided to do the same thing that they always did, which was to complain. And so consequently, I've got it down from 1 to 15. Let me just go to the point where they were complaining here. And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai to the 15th day of the second month, after they're departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. So they hadn't learned anything. And the children of Israel said, Would, would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat at the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full. For you have brought us forth into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Like all these miracles didn't make any difference. All of what God has done, hey, God's going to kill us out here. He's, he's brought us up. Now we're all hungry. We're all going to die out here in the wilderness. Well, you wonder about the patience of of God, you have to read all of the things that went on with the Israelites and how God almost gave up his patience. <laughs> almost. Moses had to intervene. He did. And then said the Lord to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. And here is the word of the Lord to us. Because that's what he's given us. His word to prove us that we will walk in his law. Or no. And it shall come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in. And it shall be twice as much as in daily. And of course you can go on and you can read the rest of that. And you know the story. He gives them what's it. <laughs> he gives them what's it. Because it. They didn't know what it was. It was just a, this little hoarfrost that comes up. All of a sudden, it's out there. And they go out and gather it. And it has all these various tastes. They can do all kinds of stuff. But they have to gather twice as much on the sixth day. And they can't go out on the seventh day. It doesn't spoil, but if they, every day, if they don't eat it, it spoils. But on that time, it doesn't spoil. So God is doing miracles for 40 years. This miracle was with them. And if you read their story, what do you find? They still murmured an awful lot. And what did they do? When they first got a chance to do it, they built what? Two golden, or A, I think it's saying golden calf. That was two up in the, when the, the other one had. But a single golden calf. A golden calf to worship. Come right out of Egypt. Hadn't learned a thing. Brethren, that's what it's important for us to know. We need to, to inculcate God's word into our hearts and our minds and, and really have uh, it strong so that we will never be deceived by the things that are going on in the world and by things that you might read or see. Let's go to the next part now. The true bread of life. Jesus was truly unleavened, without sin, perfect in his ways. 
And when he taught, he taught some marvelous and beautiful and wonderful things. And we're going to look a little bit about the true bread. In John, the sixth chapter, and we've read it, and we've, we've, we've looked at it, but let's look at it again because he is that bread of life. Very important that we understand that. Beginning in verse, verse 30. And they said therefore to him, What sign show you then that we may see and believe you? What do you, do you work? What's, what's your work? Um, he said before in verse 29, This is the work of God that you believe on him who he has sent. So he told them, You're to believe on me. God has sent me. Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. And it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. We know he did. Forty years they ate manna. And Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, evermore, thus this bread. And Jesus said, I am, <laughs> try to get him convinced here, laying the foundation, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger. He that believes on me shall never thirst. I'll make sure that I am. Let's go to uh, verse 47 now. You can read the rest of those verses there if you'd like. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me, has everlasting life. That's a promise from Jesus Christ. He that believes on me has everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Seven days. Seven days, brethren. We take in unleavened bread. It's a complete week, isn't it? Seven is a complete week. From um, Sunday to the Sabbath. Seven days. Complete week. Jesus was totally unleavened. And we're asked to take him in as that perfect bread of life. I am that bread of life. And so we take in Christ. Metaphor, we look at it during these times. But we, sh we should be taking in Christ all of our life. Every day as unleavened in our life. Christ in our life. We know we fail, we have uh, other things we do, and we, we don't do it, but that's, that's the point that Christ is trying to say. Take in me every day of your life. I am that bread of life. He says, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness are dead. In fact, those fathers that were, were against God died in the wilderness. This is that bread which comes down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. That bread that I will give is my flesh, and I will give uh, for the life of this world. And we saw that on Passover, didn't we? Those, those emblems, the bread and the wine, the emblems that he gave us for that. I had something else here. Remember also, I wanted to interject it. I didn't put it in, but I would like to go back to Leviticus, the 23rd chapter. I didn't give this to, to Brian. But remember also that Jesus Christ is the wave sheaf authoring. 
In Exodus 23, and beginning verse 10, and just two verses here, speaking to the children of Israel and saying to them, When you come into the land which I give you and shall reap the harvest thereof, then you shall bring a sheath of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest, and he shall wave the sheath before the Lord to be accepted for you. On the morrow after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it, and you shall offer an offering that day. When you wave the sheath, a he lamb without blemish in the first year to be burned an offering to the Lord. Let's go back now, as I've interjected this, in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, just in one verse here. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. Jesus is the firstfruit. He is that way sheath offering. And that happened during the holy days, the, the seven days. Okay, and then one more verse there in John the 20th chapter and verse 17. Because Mary was so excited, didn't even know who she was talking to. Why do they have this thing? Verse 17. Mary thought this, that, that when Christ appeared before her, it was, was the gardener. She, she didn't recognize him. And then in verse 16, he says, Mary. And she's just over, overcome, just totally overcome. And Jesus, and she wants to reach out. She wants to touch him. Isn't that something that we would want to be? We want to be close to Christ. We would like to, to be there. We'd like to, to be with him, to touch him, to be uh, close to him. And she, he says, touch me not, for I'm not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to the, my father and your father and to my God and your God. He had to be presented before the father. He was that year the wave sheath offering, the first of the first fruits. What a beautiful thing in the word of God that Jesus fulfilled it. Let's go now. Um, my next point Salvation, saved by his life. Aren't we glad that he came up out of the grave, that he was resurrected, that he lives today? Romans 5, as we look into these. Romans, the fifth chapter. Beginning in verse 6. Romans 5 and verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. He died for all mankind. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commends his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified... By his blood we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life. How important it is for us to keep the Passover on a yearly basis, but also how important it is to understand the life of Jesus Christ. That 
We are saved because he lives. I love that song, because he lives. Because he lives. In Acts, the fourth chapter. Acts, the fourth chapter, and beginning in just a couple of verses here, beginning in verse 10. Be it known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. This is that stone which was set set at nothing of you builders, which uh, became the head of the corner. And that's uh, Psalms 118, uh, verse 22. And here is the important point. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Brother, no matter how you look at the name, because it's, it's translated in Hebrew, in Greek, any other, it still means salvation of God. The anointed salvation, essentially, of Yah, or Jehovah. Remember, his name is, was Jesus in the, in the Greek, but it was also Joshua, which we have in the Old Testament, which is Yehoshua, which was the salvation of and so interestingly, if when he walked this earth, surely they would have got some of it together and been under and, and would have understood, especially as he was doing tremendous miracles, tremendous miracles. Anyway, let's turn to Ephesians, the second chapter, and continue on. Saved by his life. Aren't we, aren't we thankful for the life of Jesus Christ? for the sacrifice that he gave. And you, he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conduct, conversation, or conversation too, but our manner of life in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. Boy, oh, that's tremendous. Listen to what Paul, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in those sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. And has raised us up together. And made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have a place in God's kingdom, brethren. If you don't give this up, if you don't give this way up, you have a place. You have a crown. And we're going to talk about that a little later. You have a place in that kingdom. All of us in this room. All of those who may be listening today have a place in the kingdom of God. He is... He is very large. He, he wants a tremendous family. There, there's, you know, Jesus said the mansion is gigantic. It's huge. And it's, it's, it's available to anyone who will accept Christ as their personal Savior.
that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his, king, in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace you are saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. I, without God calling me, bringing me along, and doing what he's been doing in my life, I would be back out in that world. And it truly is a fantastic gift. Think about your calling and how God has worked with you. Not of works, lest any man should boast. <laughs> if it was my works, it would never have gotten this far. That's for sure. For we are his workmanship. God working in us, working with us, and, and trying to bring us into the kingdom. Created in Christ Jesus to the stature and fullness of Jesus Christ. To the stature and fullness. To good works which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. I mean, he's, he wants us to do good works. And what, what's good works? Following the word of God. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And one of those commandments was that there's nothing been done away in the commandments of God. So he, all he was doing was filling them full, helping us to understand the commandments in a fuller way. And so if we love him and we love God, we love the Father, we will be keeping those things in which they instruct us to keep. Saved by his life. We were saved. <laughs> um, let's go to 2 Timothy, the um, first chapter. Now we're going to look back. I think every one of us can look back, can't we? We can look back at that time when maybe we were trying to come to an understanding of what God was doing in our life, what he was, where he was directing us, how he was directing us, and and coming to that point when we would accept Christ. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Uh, it's interesting that I was very fearful. A young man, 20 years old, uh, in this way, trying to trying to come to comp comprehend it. I had a little bit of background, a little bit of understanding about the Bible, not very much. And God was <laughs> trying to bring me along. And I was, very, I was fearful, but I read the scriptures and, and, it, and it encouraged me, strengthened me, brought me through some, some tremendous trials in my life. But not you, uh, be not you therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But be you partakers of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. There it is. They're working with, they bring us out of this world. They call us because it's a holy calling. And it's not according to our works. It's not according to what we did, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Find out where I want to stop here. But now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. 
The good news. That's what gospel means. It's good news. We don't deny that, do we? We know it's good news. We know it's pure and wonderful and good news. We're being saved. It's It's an ongoing process, isn't it? And part of that was in that scripture there. But I kind of separated these because I wanted you to think about when you first were in this way, when God was calling you, bringing you out of the world, and now that we are called and are out of the world and God is working with us, even though we're um, a lump of clay that sometimes he has to, to really uh, work with and do things to, to to get us to do what's right. Ephesians 1, and beginning in verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in all in, in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be no uh, we should be that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom you also trusted after that you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after you have believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That promise is inherited eternal life. The living forever, which is the earnest, it's a down payment, of our inheritance until the redemption and the, perp- the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. When it comes to the day that we're resurrected and we're in the in the kingdom, we will give glory to God, not to ourselves. And not to any man. You won't be giving glory to me, you'll be giving glory to Jesus Christ and God the Father for bringing you into the kingdom and for bringing me into the kingdom. Because we know what kind of people we are, don't we? We know how weak sometimes we are. And we know where our failures are. And so he's constantly working with us to bring us into that kingdom. First Thessalonians. Beginning in verse 5. You are all the children of light and the children of the day. You're not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let, not, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. We were talking about earlier, being sober, being watchful, as Curtis was saying. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for the helmet, uh, the hope of salvation. For God has, appoint, has not appointed to, uh, us to wrath, but to obtain salvation, to obtain salvation, to be saved by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. All these words. He says, wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another. 
even as you also do. Because we do. We edify one another. We, we comfort one another. Back to Philippians real quickly here. Philippians, the second chapter, verse 12, verse 13. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? Because God is working with us, but he's spiritual. So that means that we who are physical must interact with the spiritual through the spirit that God has given us in understanding the word. But in that, we need to fear that we don't allow the world to, to interfere with our lives. So it's a constant battle to make sure that we're following what God sets forth for us and that that spirit is strong within us. For it is God which works in you both to will and to do uh, and to do of his will good pleasure. Uh, uh, to do of his good pleasure. So, just those two scriptures. Let's go down. Let's go to the next part. We shall be saved forever. I love this. Especially Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians. There is so much. We could go in there several times and we could, we could glean from, from this in, in many different ways. But, we shall be saved forever. It's an eternal life that's held out for us. And it's because of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Isn't it? It's because he was resurrected. And Paul argued the resurrection. And people that say there is no resurrection don't know what... Well, they, haven't, they don't believe Paul, I guess, is what the deal is. Because he vehemently defended the resurrection. Let's just read a few verses here. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some of you among you that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. See how important the resurrection is? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in vain, and your faith is also in vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up. If so be that the dead raise not, arise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and you are yet in your sins. See how important? On this seventh day of the, of the days of unleavened bread, the resurrection is. And how important Jesus is resurrected. And we've got a, a couple more things I'm going to uh, point out about where he's at today. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are also perished. They're, they're all gone. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all men most miserable. So just believing in the, the, the physical life of Jesus Christ is not enough. Just Bringing him, and we, we need to keep the Passover. It's very important Jesus gave that for us. But if that's where it ended, we would have no hope. But the fact that he was, he was resurrected is our greatest hope. 
If in this life only we have in Christ, we are all men most miserable. But now, Paul says, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. We just talked about the first fruits. He is the first of the first fruits. He's the first fruits of the ones of us who will be a part of that early resurrection. I believe that, brethren, that those of us that are standing, sitting here, me standing, those are sitting, there's a few standing, those of us that are here will be in that first resurrection. We'll be there with Christ. And it's because of Christ's resurrection. He says, for since man came death, by man also came the resurrection of dead. And I'm not going to take it any further than that. There's a lot more to that, but I want to continue on. In 1 John, the second chapter, what would happen if you didn't believe in Jesus Christ and you didn't believe in some of the things that the Bible talks about in the, in the New Testament and you didn't believe there was someone there to be your defense attorney? Well, there is, and I believe it, and I know that I can go to the very throne of God and Jesus is there. And my sins, I can ask forgiveness for it. First John, the second chapter, beginning in, in just a couple of verses here. My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate. And my Bible says that's a defender, a defense attorney. Anybody watch Perry Mason? <laughs> he always wins. While Jesus always, well, I'm not sure. I mean, it's up to the will of the Father. Then I take that back. It is up to the will of the Father. But he is our defense attorney. And he is the one that goes before the Father. The an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation. He is the appeasement. He is the atonement for our sins. And not for ours only, but for also the sins of the whole world. I think when we go before them, we need to be, you know, honestly, that we're, we're really wanting to repent. Because Christ can look into our heart, and God can look into our heart. He reads the heart. He reads the mind. He reads our character. And if we go foolishly to God and expect us to be forgiven, we might not. Christ is also something very important. Because he, he has an office, Hebrews, the eighth chapter. Well, maybe. It's got to be Hebrews in here. Now, of these things which I have spoken, this is the Son. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty on heaven, a minister of the sanctuary, and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. We have a high priest also. We have an advocate, but we also have a high priest. And in verse uh, 21 of the seventh chapter, for those priests were made without an oath, but this was the oath of him that said, the Lord swore, swore and will not repent. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so at this time, he is there as our high priest. Brethren, 
when three witnesses agree, it's got to be good. It's got to be great. It's got to be wonderful. Three witnesses say, we have crowns waiting for us. Three witnesses. You know who the three witnesses are? Well, you can read them in my thing. The first one is, of course, Paul. Paul says we have a crown. And where I'm at, I'll go to Paul's witness. When there's more than one witness about something, it must be very, very good and very wonderful, very and and to be paid paid attention to. And let's see, where is I think it's in Second Timothy. Better get in the right book. He says, in verse seven, I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Herein then is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not me, uh, and not to me only, but all to all them also that love is appearance. A crown of righteousness that we will receive at that day when he shall appear. James says, James says, in verse 12, chapter 1, blessed is the man that endures temptation, that endures this world, that endures all the things in this world, the testing and everything that comes with living this way. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Wow. James says we're going to receive a crown of life. And the third one is Peter. Just the next book over. 1 Peter 5 and verse 4. Ne uh, see, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fades not away. That fades not away. Eternal life in, in the kingdom of God. I'm going to quit right there. I've, all the scriptures for the, for the rewards are there. You can read those rewards. Oh, they're tremendous rewards that we... That, Christ has for us if we make it into his kingdom. And you have an assurity that you're going to make it into his kingdom because he is working a work inside of you. He is working a work in me and you and all that will be coming along until he comes to this earth. And then tremendous miracles and things will uh, be going on in the kingdom that we will be a part of and we will bring it Along with him and the Father, we will bring many more sons into the kingdom. I look forward to that day. It's a, his holy days are so wonderful and so beautiful. And there's so much there. Uh, no way I could cover it. But this is, the, this is um, a part of the seventh day of unleavened bread.